0: In today's show, we're previewing the Brooklyn Nets. I think a season that's going to be a little bit different to what some people expect. We'll find out. Michael Bolton.
1: Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.
0: Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed.
1: You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast Part of the Locked
0: On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, and I'm the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b ball on TikTok at redrock underscore b ball and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. We're going to talk Brooklyn Nets. Quite an interesting team. A very different team to where they were at this time last season. So we might as well get in and uh, and talk about them right now. The host of the Locked On Nets podcast is here. It is Adam Armbrecht. Adam, welcome back to the show yes sir happy to be here man i feel like more
1: than once a year for fantasy purposes that wouldn't hurt but i'll take the invitation when i get it
0: yeah we're here to to talk about the brooklyn Nets. a team that when we did this show last season it was a very very different looking squad um, and we're going to talk about if it is a different mindset, I guess, with this team. We're going to go through some of the basics before we get into some of the, the deeper questions. Let's have a look at the changes in this team, and there's plenty of them. They bring in two first-round draft picks, Derek Whitehead and Noah Clowney. They sign Lonnie Walker, Dennis Smith, Trended Watford, Darius Baisley. They draft Jalen Wilson in the second round also, and they lose some older shooters. Seth Curry and Joe Harris, Edmund Sumner's gone, Yuta Watanabe's gone, Drew Smith, Paddy Mills, Moses Brown. Now, I would argue that there are four of the very best three-point shooters in the entire NBA that have left this team. Yes, three of them are quite old, Curry, Harris, and Mills. Uh, Watanabe was like a 40% shooter last season as well, and they're all gone. And while Derek Whitehead was a good three-point shooter in college, he's going to be injured, and they didn't really, didn't really replace that loss. And some of that loss was deliberate, trading away Joe Harris, creating cap space for Cam Johnson's extension. But that is a definite three-point percentage, just as an overall three-point shooting talent downgrade.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's no way around it. You can look at Lonnie Walker and say that there are sample sizes that say he can be successful and look at the perimeter shooting, some of the uh, above the break three-point shooting is there. Not as consistent as any of the guys that left there. You can look at Cam Thomas and say that he's a guy that shot 38% from deep and shot over 40% from everywhere except above the break, but a very small sample size, not a guy that's proven. So it's one of the things we talk about. This is a roster that has changed and has not one-to-one replaced a lot of the losses.
0: It is a very different roster. A lot of those guys are older, as we said. Mills, Curry, and Harris are all 30-plus, 30 35 in some cases. So they are bringing in a lot of younger pieces, but I'm going to get to the, the big elephant that's in the room here already. Let's talk injuries. We'll talk to Rick Whitehead in a second, but where, where are we at with Ben Simmons? Like, What's the what's the story with his back injury he had last season? Again, like we see workout videos. Like, What's going on? Are we ready to go? How much are we putting zero trust in his health for this season?
1: Uh, it's hard. So the timeline around the back recovery of 18 months, like he'll be coming up right on that as you get to the point of the regular season. So that's exciting. That's encouraging. The memo coming out of Brooklyn, and you've heard this from Cam Johnson and others is, hey, he's excited. He's going to be 100% or very close to it. But no, until we see it on the court, you can't put faith in it, though. It's hard not to speculate how he fits into this rotation, because he can be a very impactful player for Mikhail Bridges, for Cameron Johnson and others, if, if, if he's 100% healthy.
0: Yeah, we're going to get into that in just a second. you're right, like I, I'm not gonna trust it until I see it for the entire season. Like I don't even care if he's there opening night, I don't care if he plays through October and November. I, I wanna see him play more than thirty games, I wanna see him not yep. get hurt in February, like then I'll go okay, we're we're ready to go, the back is fully healed and we're we're fine. But I, I'm not ready to say that at this point. I'll have some cautious optimism, but I'm not uh, I'm not believing it until I see it until we, we reconvene at this time next year. Go, oh yeah, that was interesting. We saw Simmons play. During the season. So we'll see how that goes. The other one is Derek Whitehead who had a second foot surgery just before the NBA draft. We didn't get to see him in Summer League. Which I think takes... It always, when you don't see a first-round pick play in Summer League, people go, oh, what do we we pick this guy? Like, oh, maybe we should have done something different. What is the plan here for Whitehead and the recovery from his foot injury, which is the second foot surgery he has had? The Nets have a lot of experience with foot surgeries. Obviously, Brooke Lopez, Karis Levert in recent years there, and their team doctor has been dealing with Whitehead and that injury for a while. So are they just planning on not quite a a redshirt year, but a very minimal first season, do you think, for him?
1: Yeah, I think you have to at least feel, as Doug and I said, confident because the surgery was done by the Brooklyn Nets surgeon, right? So you you know that you have as much insight as you possibly can on what it looks like in the recovery timeline. Go back to a year prior, he would have gone much higher in the draft class, mm. if not for the injuries. But I don't see it as being any pressure for him to come in this season, if not necessary. I think it's possible, but they looked at it as being at the point they took him in the draft you are getting potentially an insanely high value on a player like Dariq Whitehead, and there's no impetus to force him knowing what the Nets excuse me, plan to accomplish going into
0: this year. He doesn- it's not crucial that he comes in and plays a role. Whoever Nets, fl- Nets fans are listening to this show, I, I think that you will probably be skeptical of this, but I think they got two lottery picks with their two selections because yeah, Whitehead was like, shot 40% from three. He's six was six. He's a wing, and Clowney is young. Very young, really good rim-protecting numbers. Yes, the Summer League was bad. I don't really care about that. But what I'm looking at with those two is they were two of the youngest players in the entire draft. I think two of the five youngest players in the entire draft class, and they chose those guys back-to-back. We'll talk about that more in a second, but there is a very interesting thing we're going to talk about. I put out a week or so ago my projected starting lineup for the Brooklyn Nets, and I didn't have the same one that you had here, but I've spoken to your co-host, Doug, about this as well, and he is in absolute complete alignment with you in that you think that Ben Simmons is going to be a starter on this team. So you think they're going to go back to the Simmons sort of point guard situation, not in the situation where he was strictly a Nick Claxton backup at last season. So you think that him and Claxton will start together along with Dinwiddie, Bridges, and Johnson. There's no question that those other four guys start. I had Finney Smith in there over over Simmons. There's Royce O'Neal in that mix as well. But that is... Multiple people now, you, Doug, and other people I've seen who have been like, no, no, the plan here is for Ben Simmons to be a starter. Um, what can you, yeah, what sort of light can you shed on that for us?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we say it there that until I see the proof that Ben Simmons can play, it's hard to put a lot of stock in what you hear about him. However, if he's healthy and playing, then he unlocks a lot of this for this team. You think about the other iterations, the superstar version with Durant and with Kyrie Irving. Well, Ben Simmons represented a defensive stopper, a guy you could hang your hat on and potentially doing those things for you on that end of the floor. Now in this iteration, the Nets are a defensively deep and versatile team. So the biggest talking point with Ben Simmons to me is what he can unlock offensively. If he shows the ability to attack players coming out from the paint on him, get at the basket, open up some of the defensive spacing, it's going to afford guys like Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson to have a much easier time. So he is a bit of an unlocker for this offense. And outside of adding Dennis Smith Jr., They did not go out and strictly address the pure point guard role. Ben Simmons has that in his game if he's going to be playing. And if healthy, then you have to put him in the starting rotation, I think.
0: He's pretty clearly the best passer on this team. There's no question about that. Like Bridges is a below-average passer, although he's improved there. Cam Johnson's a nothing passer. Nick Claxton has got a little bit of stuff, but not really. And Dinwiddie's okay, but I would say... From, well, let's just be, with Dinwiddie, he's had moments. When he arrived in yep. Brooklyn last season, the assist rate went absolutely through the roof. It it went bananas. And I don't, I think that's more through necessity in that the other guys had no real ability to do that. And he might sort of settle back into his combo guard-ish sort of role. He's not a bad passer, don't get me wrong, but he's not the, the elite sort of uh, passing point guard that some teams need. The, the question's going to be, of course, after losing all that shooting we detailed earlier, is how does Simmons and Claxton coexist together like what did you see from the minutes that they did share the court last season that makes you think that that is a viable combination
1: yeah i I think even though and you have to think about the guys are going to be on the floor with them despite the fact that neither of them are are going to be shooters they're going to be non-shooters by all intents and purposes you look at what the defensive value is first and i know that that's you know reverse engineering why it can be viable But you have to look at it and say, these guys are so elite and versatile in switching situations on the defensive end that you're going to look at a Mikael Bridges, a Cameron Johnson and others to fill in the offensive load. And and then you also have to think about if Ben Simmons is going to be healthy. The transition game, Nicholas Claxton can be a plus player when you try to get out and run here. Ben Simmons is a catalyst for that. So I think if you're the Brooklyn Nets, you're saying high defensive value when these guys share the court. And then we want to be a team that really does get out and run, move the floor a lot here. You just saw this in FIBA in their first scrimmage. Cameron Johnson's ready to run the court. I think you need some guys that are ready to push the pace with him. So they're delineating responsibilities, but they can accomplish things at a high level at one end. It's going to come down to Mikhail Bridges and
0: Cameron Johnson really doing high usage work on the offensive end of the floor. We're going to talk about your rotation in just a second, but today's episode is brought to you by Fanjul Sportsbook. Football season is here, and Fanjul is giving you the chance to win all season long, yeah, because right now when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time that they win in the regular season. So you might bet on the New York Jets or the New York Giants to win the Super Bowl, and every time that they win a game in the regular season, your bonus bets, they just tick up, and you can use those bonus bets on whatever you want, whether it is other futures on on uh, head-to-head money line matchups, spreads, player props, over-unders, whatever it is. Whatever team you pick to win the Super Bowl, you get those bonus bets for every victory. So visit fangel.com slash locked on. Start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's fangel.com slash locked on. Don't forget to gamble responsibly. Let's go into the rotation. So on your bench group there, you've got Dennis Smith. You've got Cam Thomas, Darian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neill, Dayron Sharp. I would say it is absolutely a lock that Dennis Smith, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Royce O'Neill are a part of that group, especially Finney-Smith and O'Neal. The thing that stands out to me here is that recent signing Lonnie Walker, who some people think to see him is an awesome player. He isn't, but he is not in that group of guys. And you've got Dayron Sharp in there, sort of, which would take the Simmons at center minutes away. Um, Let's talk Cam Thomas, because I know he's someone that plenty of fantasy people were very enamored with for three games last season. Is this, like, where where is he? Because clearly, yeah, you score 40 points three games in a row, and then Jacques Vaughn says, no, nah, like, you're not playing. W- what are the issues? How does he address them? How does he get back into the good graces where he can um, provide value when he is not the only offensive player on the court?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's like back into the good graces, it might be the graces for the first time because we've never seen him really get an opportunity with this coaching staff or the previous coaching staff for this organization who drafted him. But um, one of the things you can point to first and foremost is you do need a guy on ball that can create his own shot and get you buckets. That's what this team really lacks. So I yep. put him into this rotation because I think that's the easiest one to one solve for what you're missing here. The confidence level that the Nets are going to do this, that's another story. But the other thing you can look at actually here is one, I mentioned the three point shooting earlier. That's gone up year over year. He gets to the free throw line a ton and at an elite level. So he has that in his bag. It's just really going to come down to can he be successful with the other players on the court? And if you actually go back and look at the sample size with him and Ben Simmons, like Ben Simmons can actually be a good unlocker of Cam Thomas. So if you end up putting those guys, you know, positionless basketball in the backcourt together. I think that Simmons can actually set up Cam Thomas to be successful, have to wait for his opportunities off ball, and then afford him to dominate and go attack. So he makes the most sense to me. I, these are almost ceremonial. They're two players that have been on this roster with De'Ron Sharp as well because the sample size doesn't say they're going to use them. In Cam Thomas's case, he fixes or provides what this team currently lacks.
0: I agree because they don't have that that guy. Bridges did step up quite a bit in, in that role yep. last season. I want to talk about him now, um, but they don't have that other player. And, and again, Lonnie Walker isn't it. Cam Johnson can't really create. He's for himself that level. Did we can try, but he's highly inefficient. It's really just about Thomas buying in and doing anything that doesn't get him onto a ball is life highlight tape. Like that's really what it's about for him. Like pass, defend. Play team ball like there's just so many things we know we can score. That was the thing coming out of college, but do something else. And I do think that clearing out of the Harris and Mills and Curry and these guys means that the front office is going, Jacques. Like, let's see what happens here. Like, let's get him into the rotation. Although they did sign Lonnie Walker, um, get him into the rotation, and we'll see what goes on. Now, Mikael Bridges, really huge step up from him heading over to Brooklyn last season. He was already sort of trending upwards with all the injuries in Phoenix, but he headed to Brooklyn last season and really started to take over usage went way up but I want to talk about one thing about his game when he joined Brooklyn. He was he took way more mid-range shots than basically anybody in the NBA during that time. He upped his mid-range percentage from 43% in Phoenix which If you go back to his numbers, looking on um, cleaning the glass, they're insane. As a rookie, 14% of shots were mid-range, then 18, then 22, then 36, then 43 in Phoenix, all the way up to 48% of his shots as mid-rangers in Brooklyn. And that meant that he he didn't change his percentage of threes. He just didn't get to the rim. He went from 25% at the rim down to 20%. And his rim attempt numbers have dropped every season since year two. So he's sort of settling a little bit. Now, they went in at a really high rate. I have concerns when you rely upon elite level mid-range shooting and you're not getting to the rim as much that there can be a lot of fluctuation and there can be a level of flukiness is not the right word, but a level of, hey, maybe this is not sustainable as a shot diet. How did you see, like from watching the Mikhail Bridges experience and all of those uh, mid-range shots that he was taking, how much confidence do you have that he can maintain that level of production?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, at least, and by the way, it's not the one-to-one comparison, but the Brooklyn Nets had a guy in Kevin Durant that was unstoppable. So when you talk Mm -hmm. about a player like that, and he's taking a lot of mid-range shots inside the arc, you say, well, that's less, right? Three points is more than two. Unless you're hitting the two-pointers, it's such a high clip that it's just valuable because the defense is consistently giving you that. They're concerned about the perimeter shot. Mikhail is more than competent from beyond the arc, so I think it opens up those spaces for him. You bring up a fair point around the consistency. It's funny, um, Cameron Thomas going at the rim 63% and his true shooting percentage attacking and getting downhill. So there's this idea of we'll go finish. Right. But, but I think that the one thing I'm curious about is Mikhail bridges leaned into an area of the court and his game that was successful for 27 games last year. Does that maintain, it's going to be a new starting rotation. It's going to look different with Ben Simmons. I think you actually could see better spacing around the basket and you may find Mikael bridges getting back at the rim with more consistency. There's some question mark about, what we saw from certain players at the end of last year versus what they truly want to be as Brooklyn going to the next season.
0: So the, the difference between what he did in Phoenix and what he did in Brooklyn is stark. As I said, he already jumped up those yeah, five percentage points in terms of percentage of shots taken from mid-range, but he also converted them at seven percentage points better as well. So not only was he taking more, they were going in more, but the fact that they had that such such a level of a jump makes me feel that there is a level of instability in that overall efficiency, which is what a lot of Mikael Bridges' fantasy value gets his hat. Hang on, is that, well, look, look at how well he's shooting and look at this high-level efficiency. But if that does fall away, and his effective field goal percentage did drop down to 54% uh, last season after hovering at over 60 for the, the two previous seasons. So the extra usage had a massive, did have a massive overall impact on his efficiency, and I just think relying on that steady diet of mid-rangers can sometimes lead you to a little bit of a risky proposition in terms of repeatability of all those numbers. But he's awesome. The the value that he provides is fantastic. I've got more questions about that that'll come later on, but let's talk about the young players on this team. Because... It's a a clear focus. We talk about getting rid of all of the old guys out of the squad. And look at that. There's six guys here under the age of 23. Cam Thomas is still 21. Trenton Watford, who they got for nothing, who I, I think, honestly, I have no idea why Portland cut him. And I think getting him is, like, I think it's a better signer than them signing Darius Baisley, to be honest. And I wouldn't be surprised if Trenton Watford's in the rotation over uh, Dayron Sharp. I think he's a really good player. Derek Whitehead's 19. Noah Clowney's 19. Jalen Wilson's 22, who had a really good summer league. I don't really think he's an NBA rotation player, but that's a separate point. And Dayron Sharp's only 21. So a clear change in focus here to me, it seems that we talked about it already with the draft, but just six guys under the age of 23 with a few of those guys going to get rotation minutes.
1: Yeah, listen, I mean, you mentioned there about Trenton Watford. I'm really high on him. He's one of the few players that I plucked out over the course of the offseason and said the Brooklyn Nets should be targeting him. And they actually did convert uh, just recently picking him up. And to your point uh, around the minutes with De'Aaron Sharp, I actually think that that's accurate. He's 237 pounds. He represents some more of the bulk that the Nets have in a very limited quantity. And he also has the second longest reach behind only um, Nicholas Claxton on this roster. So while you may not think of him as being a traditional five and really banging bodies, the are going to be a small ball lineup driven team Mm -hmm. so when i put dayron sharp in the front end of that roster coming off the bench there i look at Trendon Watford as someone who can nip at his heels certainly and steal those minutes because the team needs to be a more athletic and dayron sharp is by nba standards one of the least athletic players that they have in this group um some of these guys like jariq white and clown we talked about earlier they're going to be wait and sees and that's fine and then the jalen wilson one that's interesting because Depending on how the season goes, I can see him getting some minutes at the back end of the season and trying to evaluate if he can be a consistent player with that size, some consistent outside shooting. So there's real value here, but the dedication has been to taking chances on young players that can convert to contributors down the road. This is what this season's supposed
0: to be about for the Brooklyn Nets. A couple of points there. Trenton Watford, for people who play fantasy, is what some people thought O'Shea Brissett would be a couple of years ago. This guy who steps up into roles and could be a bit of a shooting big man and play four and five. That's what Watford is. It's not Brissett. Watford is that guy. And the second thing is, with Jalen Wilson, just to expand on my point that I'm not really sure he's an NBA player, he put up great numbers, right? Yeah, Or NBA rotation player. Great numbers in Summer League. But my problem with him coming out of the draft was, A, he was a much older prospect, and everything was geared towards him on that Kansas team. He was taking every shot in the world, and no NBA was going to allow him to do that. And then he went to Summer League when that team allowed him to do that because they didn't have any other prospects. So he was basically playing in the same sort of college environment. My thing with him is, what else do you do when you're not getting 24 usage, 25 usage, when you have to go by on 17 usage? Can you defend? Can you pass? Can you shoot at a reliable level? And... That's what I'm not convinced about. Those guys who are big man on campusing all the way through college, um, doing it as fifth year seniors and at high usage where a scheme is built around them. How do you translate your game to the next level when you're going to be nowhere near that? And I like his size. I like some of his rebounding ability, but I'd like to like I I still haven't seen it because in summer league it was geared around him as well because of the lack of the other prospects on that squad. So that's my skepticism with Wilson is that put him in that environment, much like, hey, put Cam Thomas on the Summer League team and he's going to be the MVP. But when you've got to fit around other guys who have superior abilities, can you scale your game back? And that's sort of what I think I want to see from Wilson. This, And if you can do that, then by all means, he's got the ability. But that's part of my issue is the production came from yeah, BMO seeing people, like just being that guy who everything was just funneled towards.
1: Yeah. Age is going to be a factor here, right? When you're an older prospect, there's a reason for that. Could have a higher floor than most guys walking to the NBA potentially, but the ceiling, right? That's the question mark with him. So it's something to be excited about, but I think you're correct. And from a fantasy perspective, don't go
0: putting your eggs into this basket with Jalen Wilson anytime soon. And hey, look, if you get a a semi-rotation guy from pick 51, it's a huge W anyway. So yeah, it's not a bad pick by any means. Let's get to a couple other questions. This is a team again, cleared out the old guys, got the young guys in, but were very reticent to move off of Mikhail Bridges, paid up big for Cam and Johnson, who are both older than you expect. They, because the impression is they're like 24. They're both like 27, 26, 27. So while they are bringing young guys in, is there, any, is there an appetite on this team for a, a rebuild? Are they, you know, is that what they're signaling towards? Like where, where are they at like goal-wise? I, the goal is to make the
1: playoffs again. It's to be a competitive team. You you have Mikhail Bridges and you have Cameron Johnson. And to your point, they're, uh, especially Cameron Johnson comes into the league late, and then you sit in smaller roles elsewhere. So by the time you get this big opportunity, it just looks different. Um, but I don't. You know they don't have their pick next year, so it doesn't behoove them to tank this season. And I think you hate to say culture or just resetting the tone. It's, hey, they're one of the more consistent teams. Take this, that they've gone to the playoffs year over year, the last handful of seasons. I think that that matters. And if you can develop these young guys in the background, I think about this as kind of taking the, uh, you know, taking the summer abroad for, for a kid coming out of high school before you go to college. We've got a year to assess and evaluate our options. And then as we work through it, we can kind of make really clear decisions about a Dorian Finney-Smith, who still has a team-friendly contract at the deadline. Royce O'Neal expiring; these young players, Cam Thomas being among them as well, right? Let's just get clarity here around Cameron Johnson and Mikhail Bridges, and then we'll know because we still have them under contract now and next season, the year after. These are always going to be movable guys that other championship teams will find highly desirable.
0: All right, so here's a question: I don't know how easy you can answer it. Who, who's the core of this team? Well, it's Bridges, it's Johnson, it's is it Claxton. Like, are they the are they the core? Should or should they be considered uh, yeah, non-expendable or guys that you won't trade? Because there were whispers about a Claxton deal, perhaps, in the offseason. Bridges was floated a lot of the time by me, because I'd heard about it in terms of a Portland deal with their pick as well. Um, is, is that a core that gives you confidence for the future? Is it a core that is untouchable? Or how do you view that?
1: No, I think it depends. It's very results oriented. Um, so can, Nick Claxton, who you may love and we do love, and we've been talking about him in the small sample size, wait for him to grow, wait for him to build. And he has, he's going to be up for a contract after this season. So there's big money to be, to be allocated towards him. And that's where it gets weird. If you think about Mikhail Bridges contract, the new contract for Cameron Johnson, then you add in Nicholas Claxton, you're spending 60, 70, you know, upwards of $80 million on this core. How are you filling out the roster and being highly competitive? even a cam thomas say he blooms this season for the brooklyn nets he now they have to think about the option for next mm. season and then he'll be ready to get paid so when you're constructing a core you want to think about what the ceiling can be and that's what's weird about it because of the age of mikhail and of cam you're, at, you're you have this short timeline to make this core be successful so when you ask the question it's like for the next two years mikhail and Cam are a part of your core Nicholas Claxton can always be a part of it depending on the other moves that get made. And that's where I think the draft capital becomes so intriguing. Year over year after next season, you add in young pieces and you see if something kind of like what OKC did starts to form in the background where you're young, you're viable for a lot
0: of years with a lot of team friendly control. The thing that's the the problem, I, I think, here is. That you're right, is that the timelines of these guys don't match up and you probably should be looking to see if you can cash in with big hauls for some of those guys now, but you don't control your own draft pick for the next three years. Is two outrights going to Houston and a pick swap in there as well. And yeah, the Suns picks are coming in. There's a Mavs pick coming and There's a lot of picks coming in, but they're not your own. So you're not controlling your own um, destiny in terms of where, where your pick lines up. Now there is a chance that you could be worse than Houston in one of those years and you wouldn't have to do the, the pick swap down there. But you still don't have full control over that pick for those next three seasons, I believe it is, which does make that like, while it might be the best time to cash in on absolute, you know, pre-prime Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges, it doesn't really make any sense to do it because you're not gaining the benefit of, you get the other assets, but you don't gain the benefit of your own draft pick being higher. That's what does make it a tougher sort of situation in terms of how to build this. Who's a uh, Who's a breakout candidate on this team?
1: Yeah, I mean, the sexy pick would be Cam Thomas. If you're a fan of the Nets, and you finally want one to get his chance. I actually think Cameron Johnson is like the yeah, easy one because when you go look at the usage rate between him and uh, Spencer Dinwood this past year, he's sitting at 20%. Dinwood, sitting at over 22. Just flip those numbers and then have it be a little bit stronger, right? Just on usage alone, you should see a big uptick. You saw him in the playoffs, 18, over 18 points against Philly in those four games. Now, you mentioned about percentages dropping a little bit for guys. His three-point shooting took a big dip coming over from Phoenix with Brooklyn. So he has to get stronger there, but I do expect an expansion of his game where he gets to the basket a little bit more uses the full repertoire. And then again, just by volume alone, he he's a guy that's going to statistically in quotes, break out kind of regardless of what else is happening. They don't have a lot of offensive weapons.
0: I agree. Look, he played 25 minutes a night with Phoenix. He played 31 with Brooklyn. The usage jumped up uh, two usage percentage points. I think it's going to go even higher. And the thing that I, I talk about this all the time on the show where you have an outlier, Production in a certain category, and then if someone drops off, it looks like a huge hit. And you just you just even illustrate this point perfectly. So he suffered a huge dip in his three point percentage. Yeah, because he was shooting forty five percent in Phoenix from three, which is like an unsustainable number. And he dropped to. Still a well above average 37%. So he was still really good, but he just wasn't breaking world's level of shooting. So I think he's going to bounce back to to that 40 number relatively easily. But when you're sitting at this high level, there's literally only one way to go, and that is down. And that's what happened to him there. But what he did do, interestingly enough, is he did see that mid-range percentage jump way up from 31% um, shooting in Phoenix up to 47% with Brooklyn. And like Mikhail Bridges, he started taking more of his shots from there and less from three, which... He's a little concerning considering how good of a three-point shooter he is, so maybe there's a little shot diet concern there, but we'll see. What about a regression candidate? Who do you think might be stepping back a little bit?
1: Ooh, that's man, that's actually an interesting... Well, I mean, I think it'd be probably pretty easy to point at a guy coming out of the second unit like a Dorian Finney-Smith, because I, yeah. I don't know what the functional role is here for him. Like, again, athletically-wise, it just seems like he doesn't quite fit what they want to be doing. But you could even look at Spencer Dimwitty. I mean, if we just want to think about that's what he did true. coming over from Dallas, mm. it's like... Now, his three-point shooting went absolutely in the dumpster when you don't have Luke on the court with you. But the assist numbers, just everything, it's so funny. Doug and I talk about how he's 30 years old, too. Like He's in the old group on this team with Royce O'Neal and Doran Finney-Smith. He maybe is a guy that the Nets should be looking to move off of. I don't see how his production, his usage is going to go way down this year for sure, too. So I think just from the way he's going to function in this team, especially if Ben Simmons is healthy and playing, expect him to take a big-time dip here in terms of how he's used. Who's the most likely player to be traded? Uh, Royce O'Neal. He, he, yeah, he okay. I think, even though Dorian Finney-Smith has a team-friendly contract, Royce O'Neal plugs in so many places. On a championship-level team, he's the perfect backup guy, and the Nets displayed that using him from the backcourt to going up against frontcourt bigs and switching defenses, just a lot of versatility. And, and real quick, his three-point shooting, He's the most consistent three-point shooter year-over-year on this roster currently. Year-over-year growth up to 39% these last two seasons consistently and did it after the trade. Still
0: hit it at the same clip of five and a half attempts per game. I would, uh, if you don't want to feel sick, I I wouldn't encourage you to go check his um, rim finishing percentages last season because they dropped about 15% from where he was in Utah. He finished at like one of the, elite, the worst in the entire league. So I was talking with David Locke yesterday about this on the Jays. He was talking about how Royce O'Neill improved his finishing so much. I go, yeah, go have a look what happened in Brooklyn. It was uh, it was pretty bad. It was like ninth percentile on the entire NBA at uh, finishing at the rim. Let's get to some win totals here. Last season, this team was 45 and 37. And we're looking at that with our context. We go, oh, that's pretty good. They finished in the sixth seed. They made the playoffs at the 14th best net rating at plus one. Vangel's got him at 37 and a half wins for this season, which is a big step down. I've even gone lower. I think they are going to be not particularly strong. You've got them at 42 and 40. I've got them at 32 and 50. They were below 500 after the trade. And yes, you know, there's you've got to get guys together and work out consistency and all that sort of stuff. I just think that it's not necessarily that they're going to be that much worse. Like, if I just was basing it on pure ability, they're probably a 38, 39-win team in my mind. But I think a lot of the other East teams get better. I think the Magic get better. The Pacers get better. The Hornets get better. And those wins have to come at the expense of other teams losing. And I think it might be the Nets. I've got them dropping pretty significantly.
1: Yeah, it's funny when we say 37 and a half from Fanduel. i think it, like if i was setting it i'd say 38 or 39 and a half would feel more like a nice number and me going 42 is definitely going to be on the high side you know them being a 500 team or slightly below you mentioned what they were in those 27 games again i hate to be doing it but the ben simmons component of this i think does change things significantly the reality right now is they are not a strong offensive team they don't have a lot of weapons they don't have a lot of perimeter shooting it's going to be funky in some ways I'm I'm looking at the defensive end and all the versatility that they have on this roster and saying, we're going to grind you down and we're going to try to really gut out some of those wins. And it may come to what you said. Some of these teams in the East that have improved, like the Pacers, like the Orlando magic, you got to check those boxes and get those wins on the schedule. Cause against the upper level of the Eastern conference and out West, I think there's going to be some, some pretty Rocky games here. And you are going to get hit several times throughout this season where you're scratching
0: your head. If if keeping these guys was the right move, yeah. The way that I go through and do it is I look at everyone's record last season and I put sort of guess, guesstimating wins, like they they improve, how much they improve, and I go through it and then I total up the wins to make sure it equals the same amount for the season. And I look at it and I'm, I'm always over, right? Because I'm always a little bit more optimistic. I'm like, okay, so realistically, which of these teams is not going to ach- achieve to that level? And in the end, like the Nets were just one of those teams I just had to keep knocking down because I like, go, do I feel more confident that the pace has got better or the Nets got worse? And I think the paces got better. And I, I, I keep looking at it that way and that the end. Up. Maybe 32 is too low, but I just think that the – not that the writing's necessarily on the wall, but it's just it's, – it's teetering there, and we'll see what they end up doing with it. Now, we've got one last thing to do. Adam, it's time for a bit of fun. It's time for us to drop a gritty on everyone here, and we're doing a Brooklyn Nets-specific option. So we've got, you know, the rules. You can only do one player. Uh, per square, you got one guess. You can't can't use them multiple times. And the last one's got to be a Nets player who made an All NBA team while a member of the Nets. Now the thing is, we can't do rarity scores here because only you play it. The way that we get the lower score to try and beat your other hosts is the player who played the fewest games. So they can either have played the fewest games for the Nets or the Celtics. So if someone played one game for the Celtics or they played one game for the Nets, if you guess that player, that's going to be the best score. It doesn't matter which team they played the low amount of games for, but whatever the, the lowest score is, that's how you get your score. If you pick a player that played the highest, you get a hundred. That's a bad score. Let's see how you go. Where are we going to start here?
1: Oh, good Lord. This is going to be what I would call an unmitigated disaster. All is the funny thing. I can't think I'm trying to think of an all NBA player currently on the Brooklyn Nets roster. I, I,
0: your, your best well, I want to say
1: Ben Simmons, but the dude hasn't played it no. all for that. So I know that's not the case.
0: And it's, it's you've got to have made All-NBA while a member of the Nets. And for that one, it's like which player has played the fewest games for the Nets in their career who also made All-NBA while playing for the Nets? So think about it that way.
1: I know. It's an absolute disaster. Uh, All-NBA while playing for the –
0: I mean, the only guy that I could even think of. I'll tell you, there's seven guys guys in history who have made an all-NBA team. Not all defense, not all rookie, all-NBA team. There are seven guys for New Jersey, Brooklyn, through their history that have made an all-NBA team. Oh, man. Brooke Lopez? Brooke Lopez did did not make an all-NBA team. So that is what they would say an L for you. All right, we'll s- so, all right, let's go. This nice p- p- can
1: I stack six straight Ls? I think I could probably pull that off. Let's,
0: <laughs> let's see how you It's really make it, let's make it so no one could be worse. All right, what are you, where are we going to go with now? Which square are we hitting?
1: Well, uh, let's think about the, king. I guess, the Kings category here. I don't know why I want to go there because I'm not going to come up with an answer here either. Um, actually played all the rockets this is this is going to be absolutely atrocious i was I'm, and i'm like I'm, I'm so i'm so associated with uh current and current nets roster yeah. as opposed to thinking historically right now which is the absolute worst thing that you could be doing um well kyrie irving played for both the boston celtics and
0: the brooklyn nets put that one in i'm sorry um that's that's not a bad pick because kyrie didn't play a huge amount of games for the nets because right. of all so, these yeah. absences let's have a look where does kyrie fit uh he's sort of for a sort of mid pack so obviously Irving is a correct answer, and it gets you a f- a fifty-two out of a hundred there. So it's 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 mid-pack. It's not it's not too bad. It's not too bad. You could it could have been worse. You could have picked Kenny Anderson, for example, who was the hundred there. All right, where are we going next?
1: All right, let's try to think about the Minnesota Timberwolves here for a second. Uh, who played on that roster? I know for a fact somebody that played on that roster for the Brooklyn
0: Nets in both.
1: Oh, who is it? Did Jeff Green play for the Houston Rockets?
0: I'm not going to... Oh, you, know, you know what? I can answer that. He signed with the Houston Rockets, but he hasn't played with them yet. He signed in this offseason. So that, so that won't count if I use him that, for, them, for that, the
1: Brooklyn Nets to have been on the court for them.
0: Act, actually, you know what? No, no. I am going to take that answer because Jeff Green has previously played for the Houston Rockets, and I forgot about it. So He's been around go. this
1: league. He played for each team twice.
0: He is back on the, the on the Houston Rockets, and he only played... I, I cannot remember this in the slightest. He played 18 games. For the Houston Rockets, and that is a good score of 7.11. So there you go. That is there we go. Okay. That is news to me. Jeff Green on his second trip for the Rockets. Wow.
1: Pulling absolute not Pulling some things absolutely out of my out of my uh, backside here, trying to keep it clean. Uh, The Atlanta Hawks. I keep telling you where I'm gonna go, and then I switch when something pops into my head. Mm. I know the Atlanta Hawks have crossover guys here. Um, Oh, oh,
0: Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson played for
1: both the Nets and the Hawks.
0: Joe Johnson did play for the Nets and the Hawks. That is 100% correct. Unfortunately for you, Adam, example, Joe Johnson played the most games out of anybody for yeah. those two teams. So that is a big fat 100 for you on that one as well. So there we go, Joe nice. Johnson. So let's do, oh, we've got Minnesota or Sacramento.
1: All right, Minnesota, Minnesota. Oh, uh, this is another bad one too, because he played a lot of games, but I'm just let's, let's just move this thing along here. I'm not gonna win this, obviously. Uh <laughs> D'Angelo Russell played for the Nets and for the Timberwolves. So you can put
0: that probably a hundred ish. No, no, it's not it's not a hundred. It's it's not great, but it's not a hundred. It's 70, okay, 77.11 for D'Angelo Russell heading over there for Minnesota. And the last one is Sacramento. Kings,
1: Kings, 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 man. Who the F played for the Kings and the Nets? This is gonna go, this is gonna like pre gonna like be too long ago. Or it's gonna be so 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 tiny of a sample size that it's not gonna to come to mind here. The net should have traded Ben Simmons there. It would have been a killer for this one.
0: Uh... <laughs> oh, there's, there's some really good ones on this in this group, actually.
1: Sacramento Kings. God, I'm gonna blank on this and it's gonna absolutely brutalize me. Uh, we're going to put the clock on me here in the next. In the next, I'm going to give myself ten seconds. I'll give
0: and you. Then it's, going to, then it's just going to be. I'll give you. I'll give you a hint. They actually made a trade with this team last season.
1: Oh, this is a good one because it is so small. Um, Kessler Edwards played for both these rosters, and that's going to. Even though I'm not going to win this tournament, I am going to at least look respectable in a few categories. And you can edit out the part where you gave me a hint.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll. I'll definitely uh, edit that out. So Kessler Edwards <laughs> gives you a six point eight. Four, on that thing now something okay. just happened there on my on my graphic that i just got to change So All 77 right. for us 6.84 i got two real i got two lows you got two lows it's not not a bad result it's not a bad result and uh <laughs> that's it that, that, bring, that brings us right to the end of the show adam what's going on over at locked on nets that you can tell us about that's happening in the next week or so yeah, obviously, we're, we are looking at Trenton Watford and how those rotations happen. Did some episodes on that. And then FIBA is
1: underway, even by scrimmage purposes. So we're looking at how Mikhail Bridges, how Cameron Johnson maybe function with higher level talent around them and, and what the Nets need to focus in on to maximize their
0: potential going forward. Be sure to check us out. Go check out Locked On Nets. Adam, thank you for coming on Locked On Fantasy Basketball with me. Anytime. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. But if you're here on YouTube, thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.